Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. All right, well, I got the whiteboard again, so it's going to be fun. I think I mentioned this last week. I, for years, I taught Sunday school and uh, enjoyed using the whiteboard, so I'm doing this again. We're sort of taking a break from Hebrews 12, but it, it really is relevant. It goes along with what we're studying. Um, and so what we're going to be doing today is, again, talking about thoughts and emotions. Uh, I thought about doing just a couple. Yeah, thank you. I got it. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, too late. <laughs> I thought about just doing a couple of, uh, of sermons on this, but I've decided to do another one next week as well. And next week I'm going to do more practical stuff. But today I'm calling this Cultivating Godly Emotions, Cultivating Godly Emotions, because I really do think that this could be um, transformational. I think in understanding, this is sort of a flow chart, and I'll go through it again, understanding this has helped me tremendously, and I really do think it could help uh, other folks as well. So the reason I'm doing this is because in our study of Hebrews, I've talked about this a bunch, and I'll just briefly touch on it again, this group of Jewish Christians were suffering were suffering tremendously, and their response initially to the suffering was wonderful. It was joy and filled with faith and obedience, but then as the suffering continued on, their emotions got bad, and they started leading to bad behavior and lacking faith. Some of them fell away from Christ in the church. Some of them he sees now are bitter and discouraged and growing weary and tired, and a big part of the book of Hebrews is persevering in your faith. Okay, and what he's been doing is teaching them truth. Okay, so this is uh, this is so this is thoughts, emotions, and behavior, and the whole thing is. And I kind of did more of this last week, but so we, it starts out with like life, external circumstances, and then it goes into our thoughts, how we think about things, which then affects our emotions. And I added this this week too. It flips around as well. So your emotions affect your thoughts as well, right? And sometimes we can get into a loop of emotions, thoughts, emotions, thoughts, and just continue on. But also then it leads to your behavior. And on this, we're talking about uh, things like growth and holiness, however you want to say this, Uh, obedience, okay? Um, This is fruit of the spirit. And over here, when we're talking about thoughts, we're talking about things like, um, like uh, perspective, like how you view things. Uh, you could say filter, like mental filter. Um, this is also the way you think about like truth, right? And, and this is God's truth, God's word. And this is why knowledge and understanding is important. This is why... For a Christian, I'm not minimizing this at all. We're talking about God's truth, but the way you think about things, as I said, has an effect on your emotions. Um, and this is what the Hebrews were doing. And here's something I've noticed. I've, the frustrating part for me as a pastor is I've come up with this sort of flow chart on my own, but I've used it, I've come up with this by looking at pastors and theologians and how they think about things and counselors and psychologists. I've tried to put them together because this is my observation. 
pastors and theologians do a great job of, of knowledge, right? This is part of this, of thoughts, knowing God's word. They do a great job with this. They do a great job with growth and holiness and obedience. And, and this, is, uh, this is when I'm talking about growth. I'm talking about spiritual growth and emotion. They do a great job of that. They do a great job of the glory of God. But pastors and theologians don't do a great job on emotions. It's hard to find stuff talking about the importance of emotions. Same time, Christian counselors or, uh, or psychologists, they do a great job on talking about like thoughts and emotions, but it's less, you don't hear a lot about holiness and obedience and the glory of God when you listen a lot of times. This is just my perspective. So, and I'm asking y'all, if you know of some sort of, I'm calling it a flow chart, so I have an engineering degree and a law degree, so I think in like flow chart, like James and I were laughing, like he says, when he's having a conversation with his wife, he says, let me break out this flow chart, you know, and figure out how we're, how we're going to address it. That's the way I think as well. If y'all know of anybody that has something like this, not in a narrative, not in written, I'm talking about a, like some sort of flow chart or graph, please send it to me, okay? Because I really do think this is helpful. So anyway, I have focused on like God's word and his truth, and that is necessary. If you're a Christian and you're not focusing on God's word and, and his truth, you're not going to be growing. You're not going to be living for his glory, right? And that's the ultimate goal is God's glory. Uh, if you have a church that is not committed to Christ and his word, it's not a church. It's a club, right? It's a social club. So we want to be committed to God's word and his truth. But what I'm saying is I have avoided or, or neglected because I just haven't found a lot talking about the importance of emotions. And that's what I'm doing this, why I'm doing this right now. Uh, also, I put this up here. This goes without saying, but I did put God's grace up here. All of this is infused and energized with God's grace. Right? We're not just muscling up to, to live in this way. It is all by God's grace. It's all by the Holy Spirit flowing within his people to enable us, okay? All right, so what I said last week is God cares about our emotions. He talks about the emotions. We went through the Psalms. You can read through Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. There's a big emotional context. God cares about our emotions. Delight yourself in the Lord, right? The joy of the Lord is your strength, God talks about emotions a lot. He cares about them. And that means we should care about them and we should think about them as well. Okay, we should pay attention. Also, there is a huge connection between our emotions, as I said, and our behavior. And whether it is growth and growth in holiness and obedience, or if we, and I'll talk about this in a second, if we obey sinful passions or ungodly emotions, it will lead to a lack of holiness and obedience. It'll just lead to just not growing in the Lord. And as I said, you know this. Like, like um, in fact, the, the, the Nehemiah 8.10, I just referenced the joy of the Lord is your strength. Think about that statement. The joy of the Lord is your strength. What Nehemiah is saying is, if you have this emotion of joy in the Lord, right, you're strong spiritually, if you are rejoicing in who Christ is, if you have contentment, Paul says be content in all things. If you have joy, if you are just rejoicing in God's provision, if you are a thankful person to the Lord and you're thinking about how thankful you are to God, it's much easier, even in, even in tough times in life, and 
suffering, it's easier to grow in holiness when you're rejoicing in the Lord and when, you're, when your emotion is in a good spot, okay? Much easier to live for the Lord for his glory. On the other hand, if you are angry, if you're just furious or you are anxious and you're worried and you're fearful, it is very difficult to grow in holiness, right? A big part of this is love, loving God and loving neighbor. It's very difficult to love other people if you're angry, right? It's very difficult to care about, uh, to care about glorifying the Lord or being obedient or, or whatever, growing holiness, reaching out in love to others, being a minister if you're depressed. It's just very difficult. So our emotions have a big influence on this, okay? So, we're, so like I, Psalm 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord. Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. God cares about our emotions, again, because they have a big influence on our, again, our, our behavior and how we live for the Lord. So we need to care about our emotions. Now, the big, what I said last week as well, and I want you to understand this, there are, and I'll put this here, there are other factors, there are, and I'm going to talk more about this next week, there are other factors that can influence our emotions, right? Besides even, even our thoughts. Your health, exercise, uh, if you're sick, like literally things inside your body can affect your emotions, okay? And I am gonna talk about more about this next week. So things, there are other things than thoughts can affect your emotions, your relationships with other people whether you are alone a lot. Those are things that are not thoughts, but they are other factors that have an effect on your emotions, okay? So, and they're important, and I'm gonna address it more. But the biggest influence in your life, I'm convinced, on your emotions are your thoughts, your perspective, your interpretation of things in your life. Things like what we focus on and what we ignore, okay? And this is, again, this is how emotions affect thoughts. If my, if my perspective, for example, if my perspective, I'm saying mental filter, is I am, um, I'm thankful, I'm happy, I'm joyful, okay? If that's my mindset, my perspective. When I look around my life, I look around and I see God's grace in my life. I see how the Lord has blessed me. I, I, that's my thought and that affects my emotions, how I interpret things. Other, other times, and I've done this many times, I've, I've, my thought is and my focus is on bad things in my life or bad circumstances or whatever, and that's my focus. My emotions end up following that, okay? So your thoughts have this huge influence on your emotions. And last week we looked at, for example, Matthew 6. Jesus says, he's talking about don't be anxious, all right? So that's one that's one emotion. Don't be anxious. Anxiety. What does Jesus say to do? Don't be anxious. What does he say? You know what he says? He says, think. <laughs> he says, consider the birds of the air. Think about the fact that your father in heaven takes care of the birds. Look around and think. Your father cares a lot more about you than does the birds. The birds don't plant crops and, and have barns, and yet God takes care of them. So he says, think about the fact that God your father cares about you. He loves you a lot more than those birds, okay? That's how you address anxiety. 
Colossians 3, we looked at this one as well. He talks about ungodly emotions, fits of rage, passion. How do you put to death fits of rage and ungodly emotions? What does Paul say in Colossians 3? Same context. You know what he says? He says, think. Set your minds on things above. Think about Christ. That's why we think, that's why we're studying God's word, his truth, to have our thoughts fixed on, on who God is. That's how we defeat things like anxiety and depression and fits of rage and all that. We think, and the Bible does this over and over again. Also, I think this is huge. When we battle this, there's a tendency for us to do this, and I bet you've done this. If something or someone or something, whatever, is making me sad or angry or anxious or whatever, we can, our tendency is to do this, don't think about that. That doesn't work. If I say don't think about blank, you're going to think about it, right? You can't just create a vacuum. You have to replace that with truth. And that's why Jesus says, consider the birds of the air, think. That's why Paul says, set your minds on things above. We replace the thoughts that we have with truth, with, with God's word. That's why we memorize Heidelberg Catechism and scripture, to replace these things, to have this set of knowledge, okay? So, we, again, your thinking has this effect on your emotions. Thoughts can lead to change in emotions, which then can lead to change in behavior. And this is why God's word matters. This is why discipleship matters. That's why our thinking is so important. All right, turn with me to Philippians 4. Philippians chapter 4, I'm going to give you another example. Another example of how our thinking is connected to our emotions and then to our behavior obedience. Okay, so I've got Philippians 4 right here. We're going to look at 4 to 7 and then 8. Philippians 4, and notice the emotional context once again and what Paul is telling us. We're going to see two different emotions involved in this. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That's emotional, right? That, that's looking to the Lord and rejoicing in him. Emotional context. Verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Okay? See, in other words, seeking what is best for everyone, not just focused on yourself. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6, another emotional context. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So prayer, supplication, asking God, making your requests known with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7, and the peace of God. And it's not just emotional, but there is an emotional aspect to Peace, right? Peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul is addressing things like emotions in this. And what does he say to do? Look at the next verse. What does he say? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, what? Think about these things. You see what he's saying? It's over and over again. Our thoughts have this impact on our emotions and our growth and holiness and obedience and everything else ultimately for the glory of God. Okay? So this is just one more example of this. Now, I want to stress this again. 
When we have emotions, it's extremely difficult to control your emotions in the moment. I experienced this just this morning. If you have an emotion, it's very difficult. You can't flip a switch and change your emotions, right? It's much easier to direct your thinking, to control your thoughts. It's much easier. You can consciously think about something and change your thinking. And I think that's why God repeatedly tells us to think about his truth, his word, right? Because what will happen is when you start thinking God's truth, then your emotions will follow. Now, don't get frustrated when they don't follow immediately, okay? Also, and and I'll be real, there are thoughts that just pop into your head that you don't control, right? There are, that happens. But you don't have to dwell on it. I think it was Luther who said a bird can fly over your head and that's fine. A thought can fly over your head, but you don't have to allow the bird to make a nest in your hair, right? It doesn't have to just sit there and you just let it go. So a thought can come in and then you can say, okay, I had that thought. Well, now I can direct my thoughts someplace else. So it's much easier to control your thoughts than your emotions. So when you direct your thoughts, don't get frustrated that your emotions don't flip. Or when we'll talk next week about other factors like exercise and diet and things like that, they affect your emotions. Don't expect them just to to all of a sudden flip. But when you start putting all these things together, then eventually your emotions will follow and that you will get better, okay? You really will. So we can change our thinking much better. I'll give you an example. I think I use these examples. It's so common. Emotions. You're driving, someone almost cuts you off, almost hits you, and, and it's very scary. You're angry, you're scared. In that moment, you can't just say, okay, don't be angry, and then now all of a sudden you're not angry. It's not what you, you can't do that. When you're angry and scared or depressed or whatever, you can't flip a switch, but you can control your thinking, right? You can think, hey, thank you, Lord, that I'm not dead, right? That, that this guy didn't hit me. Or if he hit me, that... I'm alive or whatever. You can look around and, and find things to be thankful for in how you think about these things, okay? That's why we're learning God's truth. We don't learn, and I can say that in, in uh, Reformed circles, in, in people that love Scripture, there can be a tendency to love God's Word and truth almost to the point of just for the sake of knowledge, knowledge in itself. But knowledge in itself, you know, you know what the Bible says? Knowledge puffs up. I think it's 1 Corinthians Corinthians 8.1, knowledge puffs up. If your goal is to learn God's word and truth just for the sake of knowledge, all you're going to do is make yourself prideful and thinking about how awesome you are. That's all that does. So we learn God's truth to change our thinking and our perspective, to get in line with the way that God thinks, to then change our emotions, to then change our our growth, to grow spiritually, to grow part of this too. And I've, I've tried to stress this in Hebrews a lot is intimacy, intimacy with, with the Lord, right? That's a big part of this. So we want to grow in all of this, okay? And that's why we, we learn about these. And, and young people, kids, you can do this too. If you realize you have a problem with anger, that's very common for young people to have a problem with anger. This applies to you too. This is not just for grownups. All of us have these things, right? So if you're a child and you know you have problems with anger, This applies to you too. I want you to think about these things and apply them to your life, okay? And I'm going to try to help you with some things with this again today. All right, Romans 6.12. We're going to talk about emotions. 
Romans 6.12. You can turn there if you want or you can just listen. Paul says this, Romans 6.12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Paul says, don't let, I think I touched on this verse last week, don't let sin reign to make you obey its passions. Our tendency, our natural tendency is to allow our passions, our emotions to control us, to be passive, to obey those emotions, okay? And God is saying, don't allow ungodly emotions to control you. Don't allow those ungodly emotions to be your master. That, that, so we don't, we, our natural tendency is just to be passive in this and to allow the emotions to control us. So our, our natural tendency is, well, before I get there, I want to I stress this. It doesn't mean that anytime you're sad or, or grieving, it doesn't mean that that is sinful. I want to stress that as well. We're not called to be happy clappy all the time. I don't think God tells us that. When there are, in fact, in the scriptures, if in the scriptures, I think it's in Deuteronomy, there's a specific time. If someone dies, you were called to observe a period of mourning that was pretty extensive. So God understands that there is a time to, to grieve. There's a time to mourn. If a loved one dies, and our culture is terrible about this. There is a time to mourn. Our culture expects you to have about two weeks, and then you get over it and you get back to work. That is not reality. And someone, if, if something tragic like that happens, it can take years for you to get back, not even to normal, but just some sense of normalcy, okay? So I'm not saying not have grief. When a family breaks apart, when a relationship shatters, when someone breaks your trust, when you've been abused, whatever, there is grieving that goes on that is appropriate and God wants us to grieve. So I'm not saying being sad is somehow sinful or ungodly, okay? So I want to clarify that, all right? So there is a time for that. But what we don't want to do is allow some emotion that is ungodly to control us, okay? So this is, again, Romans 6.12. And what, I'm, what I think God means by that is when we if we allow the emotion to control us, what we do, and I've talked about this last week, is we want things to fit, right? We want things to be logical. That, but we don't want, so, so this is what we do. If I'm angry, if I'm angry, if I'm passive in it, I allow the anger to control me. And what I want to do, I want to be logical, I want things to fit. So when I'm angry, I want something to be, to say, yeah, this is causing me to be angry. There can be a minor cause, but the problem is if I let it run, I can then look for everything in my life that makes me angry. And I'm going to send out this week an email, a clip, two clips from the movie It's a Wonderful Life. Anybody seen It's a Wonderful Life? Okay, a lot of you have seen it. It's my favorite Christmas movie. There's a scene, there's two different scenes in there where George Bailey... His uncle Billy has lost $8,000, which in today's money is over $100,000. He's a, he's a, he's, George is, leads this building and loan like a bank, and this money's gone, and he realizes so the, the exter- external circumstances are bad. He realizes he's going to jail. And if you watch the clip when he walks into his family, he's angry and sad. And this is another thing. When, when people get depressed, they respond differently. It's not always, but a lot of times guys respond with depression with anger, 
It's just the way we are. Don't judge guys or, or ladies. If you're responding in anger, it's, that's a response, okay? George Bailey responds in anger. If you know the scene, he walks into his house and everything makes him mad. He literally says at one point, he says, why do we have to live in this drafty old house? Why do we have to live in this dumpy town? He says, why do we have to have all these kids, right? <laughs> so he's everything. His son asked him how to spell frankincense. I don't know. He's mad about everything, you know? Everything is making him mad so he's angry, he's allowing that to control him, and he's looking for justification for it. Later on in the movie, after he sees his life, what it would be like if he wasn't lived, the circumstances haven't changed, and yet he's happy to see his kids. He even goes in, he goes, I'm going to jail, isn't it wonderful? Like, he's so happy because he remembers truth about his own life, and he, it's not a Christian movie, but I could say he understands God's grace in his life. Okay, his thinking has changed. Circumstances haven't changed at that point in the movie. So when we have this emotion, we don't want to let it control us. As I said, what our tendency to do is if we're sad and we allow this emotion to control us, we start obeying its passions. We look around everything that makes us sad. We put it on a filter, and we filter out all of God's grace and goodness, and we look around at all the things that make us sad or angry or frustrated. And we just think of, and you can, you can filter out, right? You can filter out all the good stuff and focus on all the bad stuff, and you can always justify your anger or your sadness or your fears or anxiety or whatever, okay? That's what we're doing when we're allowing the emotions to control us, and I don't want us to do that, and God doesn't want us to do that. Okay, so this is what we have a tendency to do if we're, if we're being passive. But God doesn't want us to be passive. He wants to t- us to, 2 Corinthians 10, we'll look at it in a second, to take every thought captive, right? To be active in how we think about things. All right, so how do we fight these ungodly emotions? How do we cultivate? How do we cultivate good emotions? How do we cultivate godly emotions? I'm going to ask you now to turn to Psalm 42. We're going to look at Psalm 42, 5, okay? And if I go a little long today, please forgive me. i just got a lot of things I want to talk about. Psalm 42, 5. The psalmist is sad. This is a psalm of lamentation. He's sad. In verse 3, he says, my tears have been my food day and night. Okay? So this is a psalm where he is very sad. I also love the psalms because God gives us words to be honest with him. Okay? The psalmists don't hold back. The psalmists don't give you churchy, nice, clean language. The psalmists are real, and I'm so thankful to God that he gives us his word for us to be real with him. Psalms are the prayer book, song book of the Bible, so we should use them. Look at though at ver- I want you to look at verse 42.5 and think about what the psalmist is doing here. He doesn't allow the sadness to control him, okay? He's sad, but he challenges his emotions. He fights with truth. But notice what he does here. Look at verse 5. He pauses. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? You see what he's doing? He's not allowing the sadness to just control him and run him. He stops. He pauses. He pauses. 
And, he's, and, and I will say this, he, he, I'm going to call it separates, okay? He separates. Rather than just being sad and now looking for everything to make him sad and just going and running with this, he pauses and he separates. He's sort of like, say, he's talking to his soul like it's a different thing. Like he says, why are you cast down on my soul? He, he, there's a separation. He, he, take, he, he just... He presses pause, and this is what I think God wants us to do as well. When we're experiencing this emotion, again, we can't flip the switch, but we can pause, and we can separate, and he becomes aware of his emotions, okay? He becomes aware of what he is feeling in this moment. Then he challenges that. He challenges that emotion Pause, separates, becomes aware, and he challenges that emotion with truth. Did you notice that? Look what he says next in verse 5. He says, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Pause, separate, and think about this. And what does he say? Hope in God. Hope in God. Why? Why should he hope in God? He says, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Next, he says, my soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. He's talking to God. I remember you. He, 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 is, he pauses, I will say this, there is a word that I cannot stand. I probably need therapy because I hate this word so bad. The word is mindfulness, okay? I hate that word, but I understand what people are saying. It's something like this, okay? It's pausing and separating and becoming aware and then you don't allow the emotion just to run you. You challenge it. He says, I know I'm going to praise God again. I know I am. I've been through this before. I know I'm going to do that. He thinks about truth. I remember you, God. We think about God's character. We, think, we know his word. We speak truth. We, Psalm 23, whatever. We, we speak truth to ourselves by challenging the emotion. We don't let it run us. That's what the psalmist is doing, and I love it. And I'm going to ask you to apply this in your own life. As I said, even kids, you're angry? Pause. Okay, I know I'm angry. I know I can't flip the switch and stop being angry, but I can pause. And I can think about why am I angry, okay? And I, if I can change the circumstance, fine, but usually you can't. So I can, I can pause. I can think about my anger or emotion or whatever, depression. I separate. I become aware of it, and I challenge it. Okay? I challenge it with truth. And this is why, why we, again, we, we think about God's truth. This is something I think is helpful, too. And this goes, this, this is kind of a flip on this fit and logical thing. So if I'm depressed, I, I can look around and see all the things that make me depressed. I can look at the circumstances of my life. If I'm angry, I can look at the circumstances of my life to make me angry. Here's a little trick, and I think God tells us to do it as well. For example, in 1 Thessalonians 5, we're told to rejoice always, right, and give thanks in all circumstances. So here's, here's the trick. I can say I'm joyful, okay? I'm joyful. Or give thanks in all circumstances. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. Okay, so that's what I do. I, just real quick, I'll put it up here. I'm thankful. And you know what you can do? I'm called to be thankful and I'm thankful, I'm joyful. And then you go, why? Just like here, when you're angry, you go, why am I angry? Well, no, I'm thankful, I'm joyful. Why am I thankful? 
Can you look around in your life and think of anything to be thankful for? If you're a Christian, you can think about huge things to be thankful for, right? The fact that God loves you, that Jesus died for you, that there is a resurrection life to come, and Jesus is coming back. There are these massive things that you can look around and be thankful for. You can also look around and think lesser things than that, but are wonderful. People that care about you, your family, whoever. Or it can be little things, a cup of coffee, right? Can you be thankful for a cup of coffee, right? You can be thankful for, can you be joyful for things? So you're doing the exact opposite, and rather than being passive, you're saying, I am thankful, why? Why am I thankful? And you look around and you find those things. Why am I, this is a practice that I do, I'm not strict about it, but most mornings I will write down five or six things in a little notebook and things I'm thankful for, things, things that, make, that bring me joy, things that I thank God for, okay? What I'm doing is I'm forcing myself to, to put on the perspective of look around and see God, how much he loves me. We're taking God's truth to do that, okay? That's why we're doing it. This is how we cultivate joy. This is how we cultivate gratitude. This is how we cultivate godliness, godly emotions, which then lead to, as I said, growth and holiness for the glory of God. All right, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Talked about this verse before. We've, I think we memorized it. It was one of our passages. 2 Corinthians 10, 5. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. We're actively fighting in our thought lives. So we take a thought captive. Is this thought, we're not passive, we're fighting. And also, I talked about this last week. Part of the reason why I want us to grow and what, what the writer of the Hebrews is doing is he wants them to be tough. He wants them to persevere. He wants them to be fighters. And that's what I want for us, all of us, to be tough and fighters and understand that God brings circumstances and suffering in our lives for a reason. He'll talk about that in Hebrews 12, and I love it. I can't wait to get there. So I want us to be strong and tough in the faith, and we'll see that God has a purpose in that. So, But we take every thought captive. We have a thought, and we, we think... Is this thought going to help me grow in my faith, grow in my love for the Lord? Is this thought? If not, we take it captive like a prisoner. We take this thought. It's not going to help me. It's opposed to me. This thought is not going to bring me closer to Christ. I take it captive. It's like I put away, put this thing away in a prison. Okay? Now, this is, some, this is again, we're being active. We're fighting. For faith, right? So if we, and you have to really sort of become aware of how you are personally, do you have a propensity, for example, for self-pity or propensity for anger or propensity for being sad? You may have a propensity for regret. You like, you, you know that you have regret and you think about things in the past that you've done. Or you, you have a propensity to think about things that somebody has done to you and you're angry or bitter or sad. You have a propensity to go there if you're just passive, right? Or you degrade yourself. As I said, I do this. I will make one mistake over here in this little area, and then I'll say, Jeff, you're an idiot. Like my whole life, you're so stupid. I'm not stupid. In this one area, I made a mistake, but that's, I have a tendency to beat myself up, to accuse myself. That's not godly. That's not good. That does not help me 
grow in holiness, okay? But you got to think about your own propensity for this, whatever your propensity is. And if you realize that that thing won't go away, so you got this thing, and I, I know I degrade myself, okay, I take that thought captive. I take that thought captive, and I lock it up. It's a prisoner. Now, here's something that Henry Cloud said that I think is so helpful, okay? We take this thought captive, but occasionally... I can let that prisoner walk around in the prison yard for a little bit. And then I'm going to put him back in jail. What I mean by that is if this is, for example, this is Ephesians 4.26. Do I have it up here? Yeah. Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. I think that God is being real with us and say, he says, don't be angry. But he also says, be angry, just don't sin. And then Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, Right? And I always think of this song, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Uh, I think this applies to everything. I think we can take this anger and be angry, but not let it run. It's going to stop. It's gonna, we're not going to let the sun go down on it. We're, we can take this prisoner, you know, you have, for example, in anger, you know you have a propensity to anger. This is what I do, and I find it incredibly helpful. I know I get angry. I also know that I just realistically can't keep him locked up all the time, but I can't let him walk around the prison yard for 15 minutes. I will literally set a timer on my phone for 15 minutes. I will take out a journal, and I'll talk about this next week with a writing protocol that I think is very helpful. I'll sit down, and I will write and journal with the timer going for 15 minutes and I let that dude walk around in the prison yard and I just, I talk about things that I'm angry about or whatever or something in the past. I write it down. I let that dude walk around for 15 minutes. Timer goes off. I close the journal. I put it in. I'm done. I lock him back up again. For some reason, I think that that's when Paul is saying, be angry, but don't sin, but don't let the sun go down in your anger. Put a, put a limit on it, okay? Try it. I think it's extremely helpful. I, I have found that it is, it's less exhausting. If I have to think I can never do this again, for some reason it's just exhausting. But if I think, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to do it now, but at, from 7.15 to 7.30 tonight, I'm going to set a time where I'm going to have a pity party because I know I'm, I, I have self-pity. So from 15 minutes, I'm going to sit down with a journal and I'm going to have a pity party. Timer goes off, I'm done with that pity party or an anger party or whatever, right? I'm going to, or I'm gonna, I'll go ahead and beat myself up or regret or whatever for 15 minutes and then I stop it and it's done and I close it off. It's, it, for some reason, it, I, I find it extremely helpful, okay? So we can allow that prisoner to walk around in the, in the yard for a while and then we put him back in prison. All right, last scripture for today. Turn with me to Zechariah 3. Zechariah 3, if you can't find Zechariah, go all the way to the very end of the Old Testament, right before Matthew. I really want you to find it if you can. Mal I think Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. Is that right? So you go all the way to the very last, and then Malachi is the last one, and then I think right before that is, yeah, right before that is Zechariah. So Zechariah 3. This is the last one for today. And the reason I have Zechariah, I have it right here, I have Zechariah up because 
I don't want us, I don't want us, I'm going to say no, I'll just say accuse, whatever, beat myself up continuously, okay? This, some of you, this is not going to apply at all because you don't beat yourself up. That's great. But if you do, this one's for you, okay, because I beat myself up. Zechariah 3, listen to what this vision that Zechariah has that God gives him. Zechariah 3, beginning verse 1. Then he showed me, I think this is an angel who's giving him a vision, the angel, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Okay, so this is a heavenly courtroom scene. Joshua is the high priest, and he's in the courtroom, and the angel of the Lord is on the throne, I mean, on, on the, the judge's seat, okay, in this courtroom. And, the, and Joshua, the high priest, the high priest represent people. So this is believers, this is you, okay? This is you in the courtroom. He's standing before the angel of the Lord. Now look what Satan is doing. Does anybody know what the word Satan means? Accuser. That's what the word Satan means, accuser, okay? So think about this. Joshua, the high priest, you... Standing before the angel of the Lord, the judge, and Satan, the accuser, standing at his right hand to accuse him. Now, what is Satan saying? We'll find out in the context. Satan is pointing at Joshua. He's pointing at you and going, look at your filthy sin. Look at it. Look at those filthy garments. That's the, look, at, look at your filth. Look at your life. Look at your lack of faith. Look at your trash. Look at that. And you know what? What Satan is doing when he's accusing, he's not wrong, right? Because we'll see, Joshua has dirty clothes. He has sin. So when Satan points at you and accuses you of your sin, he's not factually wrong. And yet God is furious at Satan. Look what, look what God says, verse 2. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. He's talking to Satan. And look what God says about Joshua, and he says it about you, Christian. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Is not this a branch, brand, whatever you want, plucked from the fire? He, God is saying, this is mine. I have rescued this one from the fire. He belongs to me. Look what it says in verse 3. Now Joshua was standing before the angel, this is you standing before the judgment seat, clothed with what? Filthy garments. That's a symbol of sin, iniquity, rebellion. Clothed in filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, he's the judge, he said, what does he say? Remove the filthy garments from him. This is what God says to us in Christ. Remove those filthy garments. And, he, and to him he said, behold, I have, look Look, it's not just filthy garments. This represents sin. Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. It's a beautiful picture of what is called justification. Because in Christ, our sin has been removed in the sight of God. That, those filthy garments have been removed. And you know where they went? They went on Jesus. On the cross, Jesus took our filth upon himself. Our filthy garments. So in the sight of God, we're not standing in filthy garments. So Satan is right that we have done this. 
He's right to accuse us in the sense that, that we have done this, but not in God's sight. Those, that filth, that sin has gone to Christ. And Jesus' righteousness has come to us. This, again, is justification. He says, behold, ta- behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. Verse 5, and I said, this is Zechariah talking, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. So now, in the sight of God, Joshua the high priest who represents my brothers and sisters in Christ, you stand before God without sin. You're clothed with righteousness of Christ. Okay? Now here's what I want you to think about. Okay? And this is what I do to myself. If you've confessed your sin and you've received forgiveness for something in the past, if you've repented of your sin and you've received forgiveness from the Lord, then if you continue to accuse yourself for that sin that's already been forgiven, if you continue to accuse yourself and berate yourself over that, whose side are you on? Are you on the Lord's side or on Satan's side? You see what I'm asking? If you continue to accuse yourself about stuff you've done in the past to beat yourself up, you're making Satan very happy, right? We don't want to make Satan happy. <laughs> I don't want him to be happy. I don't want to be, act in a manner consistent with him as the accuser. Our loving Lord does not want us to continue going back to the past, thinking about stuff we've done that's already been forgiven. We can learn from it, that's fine. But to beat ourselves up, to continuously accuse ourselves is terrible and it leads to bad emotions and it doesn't lead to growth and it's not consistent with what God wants with us. Okay? This is another way that we can cultivate godly emotions. As I said, if you never do this, praise the Lord. But if you beat yourself up over stuff you've done, if you have regrets, if you wallow around in self-pity over stuff you've done or whatever, and you continue to accuse yourself, I'm asking you to ask the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to say, I'm not going to do that anymore. It's been forgiven. It's behind me. Dangerous journey. We're on a journey following Christ, right? That stuff is behind. It's forgiven. I'm not going to beat myself up over it anymore. I'm not going to make Satan happy by continuing wallowing around and accusing myself in that. I've forgiven in Jesus. I look to Christ. I look to him who loves me. He loves me. He loves you. That stuff in the past is done. Just put it behind you, right? Let's rejoice and go forward. That's what he wants us to do, to go forward in Jesus Christ and not continue going to the past and beating ourselves up. All right, I'm done. Remember, God is concerned with every aspect of our lives, including our emotions. We belong. What do we say in the confession? We belong, body and soul, and life and death. Not to ourselves, but to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We belong to him, including our thoughts and emotions and everything. So let's live lives devoted to him in every aspect of our lives, okay? And I would encourage you this week, think about this framework, and when you're in the middle of emotion, pause, right? Pause, separate, come aware of it, and then challenge yourself with truth. Don't Beat the tar out of yourself, you know. Don't beat yourself up. Don't go back. Let's go forward in joy for the glory of King Jesus. Amen? All right, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we love you and praise you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for my friends here. Just thank you for allowing us to think about 
this good stuff together, your truth together. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work in me. I pray you'd work in my friends here, that they would really uh, begin thinking about um, their filter and perspective and how they view things. I pray that you would help us in the middle of emotions or whatever to just pause and not let these ungodly emotions to control us, but really help us, Lord. We need your grace, and your grace is just filled in this, but Holy Spirit, work in us so that we really do want to master those ungodly emotions and then live lives of, to the extent we can, live lives of, of joy and, and obedience and faithfulness and, and gratitude. I do pray that we would be people who are just constantly thankful. So we need your help, Lord, in this in a big way. So again, thank you for, for my friends here. I pray for them. I pray especially those uh, who, as I'm thinking about now, who do beat themselves up. I uh, pray for, for that they would be able to understand that forgiveness is found in Christ and we don't have to go back to that mess. It's already taken care of. And you see us clothed in the righteousness. Father, you see us clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, which is just awesome. There's no better news than that uh, because of what you've done for us, Jesus, on the cross and being raised from the dead. So we love you. Thank you again for your word and just praise you for the way you care for us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.